Good morning, everyone. I want to thank Pastor Pat for giving me the opportunity uh, to preach this morning. I don't know about you, but has anybody ever decided that uh, you, you were going to do like a quiet time or spend time in the Word, and you had no clue where to start, so you just look at this, and it's daunting, right? Because there's so much. Anybody ever try the flip a page and point method and see if that worked? All right, it doesn't usually work, okay? So I'm going to say that. Uh, that's not what happened for this sermon. I do want to preface by saying that, okay? But uh, Pastor Pat was like, you preach whatever you want, that, whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you want. You don't need to go through a series. Just do whatever you want. And I looked at this, and I was like, anything I want out of that? Y'all know how many verses are in here? Like, there's so many options here, and yet... Um, this morning we're going to look at something that is uh, near and dear to my heart uh, as a passage in Matthew chapter 6, um, something that uh, I, I know that I, I personally struggle with, and, uh, and so I want to uh, speak light into that this morning. And so we're going to look at a passage in the book of Matthew that deals with a relatable and prevalent topic in the world we live in today. And so um, I'm going to ask you all a question where if you answer honestly, it may take a little bit of vulnerability on your part, all right? And uh, I think that's good, because I think within the church, we should be able to be a little bit vulnerable with one another. These are the people we should be vulnerable with, right? And so uh, my question for you, all right, and feel free to raise your hand or do whatever you need to do, but how many of you struggle at least sometimes with feelings of worry or anxiety? Same. Good to see I'm not alone. I appreciate that. Thank you all for your vulnerability in that. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, all right? Um, And so let me assure you, as we get started, that you and I aren't the first people to struggle with those things. Isn't that comforting, right? You and I, we aren't the first, all right? As a matter of fact, uh, Scripture uh, gives us insight into pinpointing the first instance of anxiety or worry, which is kind of interesting. So, Worry and anxiety entered the world when sin entered the world. And so the very first instance that we see in Scripture dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Because after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, what do they do? They go and they try to hide themselves and their nakedness from God. And they cover up with fig leaves. What they're doing is they're worried about what God, God finding them, about God seeing them. All of a sudden they have these worries that they didn't have before. And so we see all the way back in Genesis when sin enters, we see the first instance when worry and anxiety entered. And we can seriously look at it and say, you know what, it's been here since the beginning, right? Ever since that point, people have dealt with that. So when I say you and I aren't the first, I mean you and I aren't the first, all right? But what I will say is this, what caused the worry for them was the recognition that something wasn't right, all right? That's what caused the worry on behalf of Adam and Eve. They recognized that something wasn't right. Something wasn't the way it was supposed to be. For you and me, we feel anxiety and worry when something isn't right or when we fear that something in the world may cause us a problem. See, we have an inherent recognition of right and wrong. We know that in the beginning, when things were created, everything was perfect, right? Uh, There was no need to worry. There was no need for fear. There was no need for anxiety, Fear and anxiety aren't in line with God's good and right design. They weren't a part of the original creation when they were living in perfect harmony with the Lord. It wasn't a part of it. But as the world started changing when sin entered, when we recognized something isn't right or the possibility something may not end right in our mind, what's right, right? 
We begin to tense up and experience worry or anxiety. When we fear something may not go as we desire, those feelings can be present. But even when we operate under the, under, when, even then, we're operating under the assumption that we have some sort of control over what happens, uh, which is an interesting assumption to make, right? Um, that you and I actually have control um, when we're never told that in Scripture. And so I think that's interesting. And so today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. And um, I want to read that to you, uh, and then we'll pray together. So Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, if you've got your Bibles. You just follow along with me there, all right? Uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV, so if you've got a different translation, it may come across a little different, but we'll talk about that as well in a minute, okay? So, uh, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, uh, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together before we dive in. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, um, I pray this morning that you speak truth into the hearts of your people the way that you would see fit. And God, that your word would, would come alive, Lord, that we would understand the relevance to our lives today and not simply look at it as something that happened hundreds or thousands of years ago, but something that, Lord, we can completely understand, at least to the best of our ability. And so, God, give us the ability to understand what you would have for us this morning. And God, just use me as a willing vessel. In your name I pray. Amen. And so this morning, I want to come to you. I want to speak to you from uh, what I'm hoping to be is a a standpoint of humility uh, on my part, not knowing that I have the answers and admitting the fact that I struggle with some of these things myself, um, but knowing that uh, God is good, and God gives us some help in these times. And so I want to start there, all right? And by the way, before, I want to give a disclaimer, okay? I don't want to diminish uh, the issues of anxiety or worry. Um, There are times where professional help is needed, all right? I'm just going to say that. There are times you may need a counselor, medicine, whatever. Those things can be helpful, okay? Uh, I've gone to counseling myself. And so, I, under, I mean, it, it, it can very easily be helpful. But those things apart from a relationship with Jesus and apart from the Word of God will not solve your problem. So, to me, they're secondary to walking daily with the Lord. But they are absolutely helpful, and I don't want to dis- diminish that 
by any means for those that struggle with that, okay? So that's my disclaimer to you, all right? But before we begin uh, the actual passage, I think we need to define the key term, all right? Here's the key term. Uh, Depending on what translation you have, it either says, uh, do not give thought to, do not worry about, or do not be anxious about. And so the three phrases, give thought to, uh, worry about, or be anxious. What in the world does that actually mean? Because I think we may have some skewed uh, opinions of that definition, right? Uh, So our word anxious, all right, has a Latin root, and I think you're going to find this interesting. The Latin root used for our word anxious means torment. That seem fitting? I mean, if you're dealing with anxiety on a regular basis, you really are dealing with some torment, right? Uh, I know that I could say that, that that seems fitting for me personally in times that I've dealt with it. Another definition uh, is to disturb or interfere with one's comfort or peace of mind. If you're dealing with anxiety, you are not feeling comfort or peace within your heart and your mind. Do you agree with that? I would suggest that would be absolutely spot on. And yet... Um, the Greek word here has a slightly different meaning that I think gives us a little deeper understanding. So that's why I want to start there, okay? Um, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, even though I'm not good at it, all right? So the Greek word used here is marumnao. And the same word is used all six times that it comes up in this passage, but it gives us a good perspective. And here's what it means. Uh, it means to be pulled apart in different directions, to be divided or distracted. Now that changes things a little bit. Do not be distracted by the things of the world. Okay. I think that gives us a little bit of insight, right? That's a little bit different sounding. And so if we want to keep it in context, we go back and read verse 24, even before this part of the passage starts. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So even in this this verse right before, did you catch it? You can't serve two masters because what happens? Your attention is what? Divided, right? And so he gives this idea of don't let money be that thing. And then it goes into talking about anxiety. And so I was like, the implication for me there is that it's possible for anxiety, if we allow it to become one of those masters, it can be if we allow it to be. And we can't serve more than one, right? That's what the scripture tells us. And so uh, this passage of scripture falls in a section where Jesus is warning against covetousness. And so when we focus on what's of most importance, of most importance, it helps us from coveting those things of the world that we sometimes desire more than we ought. And so what we're going to look at uh, this morning uh, is kind of split up into three sections. And so really you got you get an 11 point sermon. Let's see if I can get that done in a timely fashion, all right? Uh, it's going to we're going to move quick, all right? But Uh, What this passage does is it speaks to the idea that these distracting cares, when they consume us, are a bad sign for us. They're a bad sign that our treasure and that our heart revolve around earthly things instead of heavenly things. And so the passage warns us against a few of those that we're not to be anxious by or distracted by. So here's the first one. It starts right in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, distracted, divided, whatever you want to call it, By your life. So number one would be your life. And it seems like a strange statement considering our life is the most valuable thing that we have, right? Life is our most, 
is our greatest concern in the world because it's the one thing that, that is the most valuable to us. And yet it says to not be concerned with it. In Job 2, verse 4, it says, uh, this is, uh, I believe, at the point where uh, Satan is having a conversation with God about hey, there's nobody to go after, and he's like, let's go to Job. And he's having these conversations, right? And here's what he says. All that a man has will he give for his life. All that a man has he will give for his life because life is valuable. And yet we're commanded here not to worry about it. So what does that mean? What the, the statement is getting after is encouraging us not to give all of our focus or attention to how long our life is or to the comforts of this life. Those are the things it's getting after, because, and those things are up to God, right? In verse 25 it says, isn't there more to life than food and drink and more to the body than clothes? And so what he's saying here is that there's something greater that we should give our attention to. There's something greater Life has a greater purpose. There are more important things in this life than food, drink, and clothing. Or fill in the blank, right? For you or for me, there's something greater than whatever other thing causes you constant worry and anxiety. If you're a note-taking kind of person, this may be the opportunity where you you just kind of take a second and say, you know what, let me figure out what that is for me and write that in somewhere. Maybe make a note of that. Maybe give some thought to that. What is that, that thing that causes you constant worry and anxiety? Maybe for some of us it's the opinion of other people. We constantly worry about what somebody's going to think about us or what they're going to say about us or whatever the case is. And oh my goodness, those thoughts will flood your mind all day, every moment that you're awake. Sometimes they'll keep you awake even longer if you let them, right? But what are those things that cause you that? Because what this is getting at is that there's something greater. There's something of eternal significance that we should be giving our focus and attention to. You see, our life is greater than our livelihood. And that's what these things are talking about, right? Our livelihood. But our life is greater than that. Our life is a gift from God, and we we have that life because he breathed life into us. It's what God did. It's what he does. And so we're called to give the cares of this life to him. See, God sustains us every moment of every day throughout our lives. He's protected us. He's kept us alive. He's the one that guards us against evil. And he will supply us with the good things that we're in need of. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it reminds us that there is something more than life and breath itself. And it says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Why? Because the soul is of most importance. It's eternal value, right? And so in our life, we're going to face different things that are going to cause us worry, anxiety, fear. When you're, but when you're living in those moments, when you are overwhelmed with those, those issues of worry and anxiety, then guess what? Every issue becomes overwhelming and discouraging, does it not? Even the small things. When you're already in that place, even the small things seem like they're so much bigger than they really are. And it complicates matters all the worse. And so we're called to give our concerns and struggles to God on a daily, regular basis, not just a one-time shot. And so it tells us not to be anxious about our life. The second thing it mentions is, is your food. And let's be honest here, all right? Most of us enjoy food, right? If anybody in this room was at Trivia Night last night, there was a lot of good food around that room. If you went to the tea yesterday, from what I understand, I was not able to be there. From what I understand, there was delicious food that was present, right? Because Baptists are really good about having good food wherever they go, right? 
So uh, we, we love food, right? I would agree with that. And yet it's still possible uh, for somebody that follows the Lord to, to die of starvation. It's still possible. It happens in other nations and other places where there's persecution or maybe where, where things aren't as good as they are here, depending on your definition of good, right? And when he speaks of food, he uses an illustration about birds and grain agriculture, all right? And so he speaks in a language that they would understand because much of Galilee uh, was covered with wheat and barley fields. Much of it was. And so if you know uh, anything about birds, uh, if you ever just look out, anybody like a bird watcher? Or you'd rather watch people instead of birds? I'm just kidding. Um, you guys are creepy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, so you know, you can look out windows and just watch birds flying around, right? But most, for the most part, they're constantly moving. Like, they're, I wouldn't call them lazy in any way, shape, or form. Um, but because they're constantly moving and they're doing those things, they don't have, they don't have the things we have, right? They don't have a fridge. Uh, they don't have a place to store their food or the things like that like we do. They might make a nest and be able to store just a little bit, right? But not much. They can't do those things the way that we can. And yet, they're always fed. Very rare that a bird dies of starvation. Very rare. Very rare. They're always fed despite not having those things that we have access to, which is interesting. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 11, it says, I know all of the birds of the hills, and all that move in the fields are mine. God knows them. And there's all sorts of birds, but they're all fed, right? They're all fed even in the cold of winter. The Heavenly Father takes care of them. So the idea here is that if the Father makes sure that the birds that make no provisions for themselves are fed, don't you think he'll make sure you and I are taken care of? That's what he does. He'll make sure of it. And we'll dive into the reasons why here in a little bit, all right? The birds have learned something that we sometimes still struggle with. They've learned how to trust another for their food and their most basic need. They trust that they're going to be provided for. And we got to do the same. He may not provide food all the time, but even so, God himself is enough. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, trying to dive into what in the world it means for God to be enough for you and for me. But that's what he's getting after. Sometimes our fear and anxiety will lead us into more of him. And that's a good thing. Here's the third thing it mentions, all right? It mentions clothes, all right? Clothing is a need, just like food is, right? You, you read this passage, you're like, oh, well, these are all things that we need, right? And clothes are a need, but it's a little different, all right? Because um, I would submit that most of us, or if you look at the world around us, it's not just about having something to cover us, right? There may be a little more to it than that, right? We got to check for whatever the name brands are or uh, the most expensive things, or whatever the case is, those things that are going to get the greatest reaction from the people around us because it makes somebody think higher of us because they see the outside appearance of what we're wearing. I think that, that's, that, that makes that a little different, right? In their time, the color of their clothing would have made a difference, right? It would have shown some status, or the accessories that they had and how they were clothed would have shown some of their status. And in our world, we kind of use it the same way, right? And so this, this verse hits on a couple areas. It speaks of like fine clothing, right? And what we're called to do is to not care for it or, cover, or, or covet it, right? The example we're given here is the lilies of the field. And so uh, because I wanted to give you um, a visual to go with this, there's a picture of the lilies of the field and what that might look like. 
I want to leave that up there for just a minute. I want you guys to take a look at the colors that are represented there, all right? Because the way that this functioned uh, was in, uh, this, this is basically a picture of lilies of the field, um, kind of uh, supposed to be kind of in that Middle East area towards Galilee, and um, a vast array of flowers appeared every spring during the rainy season in Galilee, all right? Every year during rainy season. And the result was a landscape covered with a broad palette uh, of vivid and brilliantly colored flowers. Vivid and brilliantly colored. I can see that, right? And that's what he did. So this is what they know, right? They've seen this happen, even during rainy season. And yet what happens to those flowers, and it tells us here in this passage, they die off, right? They die off. And the vibrant colors, according to this passage, would have been far more luxurious than anything Solomon could have imported for himself. So if we can't even dress as fine as those lilies are, we can't even dress as well as that, why try to outdo them, right? There's no reason to outdo them. There's none. What does that mean for us? Here's some things to consider, right? Are we wearing the most expensive brands, the most high-profile sneakers, carrying the most expensive purses, doing these things that really aren't something we should be focusing on and coveting from others, right? God's saying not to be distracted by those things because they're of little importance. You can go back to the next slide if you want. This idea goes beyond uh, our basic clothing need, right? And so in verse 30, it tells us that the adorning of those flowers will perish. And so as they die, what happens is they get thrown into the fire. And what they do is, is they, they're thrown into the fire and they fuel that fire to cook the bread. To cook the bread. And so just like the adorning of the flowers will perish, so are our outside clothes, right? It's going to perish. It's going to perish. And uh, ours will wear out, the color will fade, or for some of us, maybe we don't always realize it, your clothes will go out of style. Sorry. Uh, But hey, don't worry about it. I look at pictures of myself, and I'm like, I'm wearing the same thing I was wearing 12 years ago. What happened? Um, What happened was I never lost any weight. That's what happened. Um, But, uh, you know, things will go out of style, right? And so these things will change. And so there's a second element to this that's in addition to the fine clothing, it has a message about necessary clothing. And so this this verse is teaching us to cast the care of it upon the Lord. To trust him that the the one that clothes the lilies, that he will provide for you and what you need in that area, in in that realm of things. If God gave such fine clothes to the grass, how much more will he give fitting clothes to his own children? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, uh, it tells us that man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the heart should be our focus, and let's not be distracted by the outward appearance, but trust the Lord to take care of us. It ends with this phrase, and some of y'all are going to get mad at me right here, but I'm going to say it anyway, all right? It ends with this phrase in verse 30, O you of little faith. You know, I don't know how many times my mom used that against me. I just want to tell you. Like, some of them, she'll look at me and say, oh, you have little faith. I'm like, what? Where did that even come from? Oh, here's where it came from. Got it. Mom took it straight out of Scripture. Thanks, Mom. Uh, but I knew it was always bad whenever she said that to me. All right? That's what I remembered. It was never a good thing when she said, oh, you have little faith to me. And so what he does is he's calling out 
uh, a lack of faith or a weak faith. All right? If you know who God is, you know who he is, you know how much he loves you, you know what he's done for you, there should be no question that he will take care of you and meet your needs. There should be no question. Because when you're walking with him and you know who he is, then you know and have experienced how much he loves you. There should be no reason. Being constantly tormented by anxiety and worry is a sign of a weak faith. That's the part somebody's going to get mad at me for. You can come get mad at me later, all right? But here's the deal. Think about it. When we give our lives to Jesus, we give what? Our entire lives to Jesus, right? If you give your life to Jesus, you give your entire life to him. And so that means you are trusting him with all of it. So the implication being that if we are constantly being tormented by this anxiety and worry over these types of things, that there's some element that we never gave to Jesus to begin with, that we need to give to him. And so it's a sign of weak faith because it shows a lack of trust. And so I'm going to get off at that point so I have, y'all have less ammunition to come after me later. Here's number four, all right? The fourth thing it says not to worry about is tomorrow in verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so the command uh, here is not to be anxious about tomorrow. Don't allow the events of tomorrow or the potential troubles and struggles cause you to be distracted from God's purposes, and for what he has for you today. See, James 4 tells us uh, that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. See, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We must not allow our minds to be overwhelmed about future events because every day brings along with it its own troubles, its own cares, and its own grievances. And so what happens then is when we start to focus on the issues of tomorrow, we torment ourselves. We overwhelm our minds as we are now taking today's troubles and futures, and, sorry, today's troubles and future troubles on our shoulders at the same time. And we can't handle that load. You and I can't handle that load. We're called to give that to the Lord, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So that's what we're called to do. And so God tells us not to worry about these things. I want to dig in deeper, but I want to make sure I hit on some other things, all right? So God tells us not to worry about these things. But that's easier said than done, right? It's easier said than done. Just because the word tells us not to doesn't mean we always live by that. I know. That's a shock to most of you, right? It's a shock. But that's the way that it is, right? It's, it's that's easier said than done. And I think he even gives us a little bit of permission to have a little bit of anxiety in verse 34, by saying what he says. But he calls us to give it to him. But at some point, it can become sinful. At some point. And so what is that point? I think that point is when it becomes our master. And how do you know when something is your master? When it controls you. Because then you become a slave to it. How do you know it's controlling you? It's taken over every thought. It's what we base all of our decisions around. Everything we do revolves around it. At that point, we need to do a check and figure out who our master really is. Because if something else is controlling us, that's the case. Um, I'm going to jump ahead real quick, all right? 
Uh, while worry and anxiety start in our mind, I think most of us would agree with that, they impact a lot of other areas. Would you agree with that? Would your worry and anxiety would impact a lot more than just your thoughts. And I, and I would say that the, I've experienced that in a lot of ways. And so there's some side effects of being enslaved to worry. Notice I'm using the word being uh, enslaved to worry or being having that as your master because I do think there are times that we have uh, worrying thoughts or, or anxious thoughts, but we haven't made it our master. But there are times where we definitely do allow it to be the master of our lives. And so there are some side effects, and here's one of them, all right? Uh, I want to move through these pretty quick. Here's the first one, is that we lose focus um, on what's important. And so I want to give you two biblical examples, and then I'm going to move through, all right? Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's one thing that's necessary, that good portion, that relationship with Jesus, that time with him. And then in Matthew 14, we've got this passage, right, where Jesus is walking on water, and Peter asks him to do the same, and then Peter loses focus on what's of most importance. He loses focus on Jesus. He loses focus on what's most important, and he becomes overwhelmed with fear and anxiety because he was being distracted by the waves and the storm that were around him, and he lost his focus. That's a side effect whenever we're being enslaved to worry or anxiety. Here's a second thing, and this one really hits me hard. We lose time and presence, and I want to expound on that just a little bit because it probably sounds a little off, all right? Um, Verse 27 says, which of you, uh, by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so this reminds us that worrying is a waste of time, all right? It doesn't add anything to you. As a matter of fact, it probably takes away more than it adds. Because worrying about a lot of things leads to more worry and more fear. And so it does not help us in this case. Now, I will give you this disclaimer. There are, some, uh, there are two different trains of thought as to what this passage is actually referring to. One is that it's referring to time, the length of time that we live. Uh, the other is that it's referring to physical height. That would be the other, uh, to add a span or a cubit or whatever, uh, which was a measure of length. Um, And so if it's about height, then we are the stature we are because of God's providence, not because we willed ourselves and worried about it so much that it happened, right? If you've ever dreamed of being taller, you didn't just wake up one morning and say, be taller, be taller, be taller, and then you were taller, right? That's not how that works, okay? Or maybe you're really tall and you'd rather be shorter. It doesn't work the opposite way either, okay? Um, That's just not how God does things. And so which of us, by worrying about these things, no matter which way you go, whether that's about our length of life or you believe that it's speaking about the idea of height, does not matter. Regardless, it's saying that worrying doesn't help anything. And here's the, the, the presence aspect of this, all right? Have you ever been physically present somewhere but mentally absent? All right? Some of y'all experienced that on the way to church this morning because you showed up in this parking lot and you're like, how did I get here? (laughs) Right? You ever driven somewhere and then don't even remember driving on the roads that you drove on? Right? You ever been at 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 an event somewhere and then went home and realized, man, I just missed out on what was going on there because my mind was gone somewhere else? That stuff happens. It's a side effect that we aren't able to focus on what's at hand and our presence... uh, is lacking. And I'm going to give you an example of that here in a moment. And then the third uh, area here is that we experience spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional pain. 
So we experience pain of all kinds. Uh, From a physical standpoint, there are plenty of health issues that come with being enslaved to anxious thoughts. Uh, It also impacts our our ability to have peaceful rest, and maybe we don't sleep well. Uh, Mentally and spiritually and emotionally, it disturbs our joy. It dampens our hope. It hinders our enjoyment of ourselves and our friends and what God's given to us. It does an awful lot. And I want to share with you uh, just a personal story for myself that really combines the last two, my lack of presence and uh, the whole idea of the pain. And so this was probably, I don't want to give it, a, I'm going to take it a guess, probably about four years ago at Christmas. And um, for those of you that don't know, um, the week between Christmas and New Year's every year, we have a retreat for our students. That's two or three days in the middle of that. And it was Christmas Day, we were at my parents' house, and I was so anxious because I was not as prepared as I wanted to be for that retreat. I was so anxious that my chest wouldn't stop throbbing the entire day. I had chest pains incredibly bad that entire day. And all I did was sit in the chair. And what happened, I don't even remember Christmas. I don't even remember what happened being there because I was so anxious about what was coming and I was dealing with so much pain. And so they were like, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine because men don't always do what we're told. Sorry uh, if that's news to anyone. Uh, and so I ended up going to the doctor about three weeks later, sometime in January, still dealing with the same thing only to find out I had, didn't have a heart problem. Uh, I had a stress and anxiety problem, <laughs> all right? Uh, I was dealing with too much at that time that caused way too much, but I don't remember much about Christmas other than I did not enjoy it that year. And I do remember the physical pain that came with it, so I can speak to these things from experience. So to this point, we focused on what he commands us not to do, all right? Uh, Oh, man, I don't even have time to get to the good stuff. We're going to get to the good stuff, so uh, buckle up. We're moving quick. Uh, Here we go. He gives us some words of encouragement here that are going to be fantastic, that are really going to benefit us if we want to try to do our best to overcome these things. Here's the first thing it gives us. It tells us we need to know our worth. If you look in verse 26, it says, Are you not of more worth or more value than they? Talking about the birds. And I don't think the main point is you're more valuable than birds. I think it goes further. It's not simply that we're more valuable than them. The point is we are his most valuable creation. I don't know if you believe that about yourself, but it's biblical and it's true. You are his most valuable creation. Humanity is the crown jewel of his creation. Humanity is the one part of creation that he says, I make it in my image. Y'all catch that? It's the one part. And so this idea of we're filled with anxious thoughts, we need to remember our worth. As a matter of fact, he took care of the greatest need for all of humanity when he sent Jesus to be sacrificed on our behalf, to meet our greatest need. He offered everything he had for your greatest need, not because you're amazing, but because you're valuable. And why are you valuable? Because you're made in the image of Almighty God. We have to know our worth, right? In that same verse, it speaks of how the birds don't sow, reap, or gather, and so it's not an excuse to be lazy, to do nothing, and expect your needs to be met, but it's saying that your value isn't dependent on your actions, all right? And that's a key point here. Your value and your worth to God is not dependent on your actions. It's dependent on your creator. 
And that's Jesus. That's the Lord. That's, that's God Almighty. That isn't you. That isn't me. All right? Uh, the second part of this, all right? We got to remember who our provider is. So we're given these examples with birds and with flowers. Uh, and I want to hit on the one with the lilies, right? Uh, Verse 30 tells us to consider them, which I thought was an interesting term. And the Greek word used here for consider is only used once in all of Scripture, and it's right here. And it means to learn thoroughly, which I thought was interesting. So like one time in Scripture it says learn thoroughly, and it says it about lilies. And so what are we supposed to learn? I think here's what we're supposed to learn. All right, so these flowers uh, are perennials. And so the bulb actually stays underground and grows again each year. Uh, The above ground part is used to fuel the fire to make bread for others. And so I think we learn a couple of things, all right? We learn to be completely, utterly dependent on God to meet our needs. And we learn to allow him to use us to help provide for others. I see both of those elements here on things that we're called to learn as we consider those lilies. But God's ultimately the one who provides, right? Um, He cares for uh, and about the temporary things of this world, but he's willing to give it all to provide for us who are eternal. In Philippians 4.19, it says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God provides and cares for our earthly needs, but he never takes his eyes off of our spiritual needs, our eternity and our souls, because that's of more importance. He fixes his eyes on both. Here's the third thing. we got to know who's in control. In verse 32, it says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God is all-knowing. He's in control of all things. When we start putting too much trust or control in ourselves, worry and anxiety can begin to overwhelm us because we give ourselves more credit for the outcome of things than we ought to. The truth is, we don't control squat. If you really want to be honest about it. We don't. But we think we do, Right? And uh, it's a freeing thing to understand that you have no control. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. And so the reason that this verse comes in right here, why would we need to take everything to him if we had control over it? See where I'm at? It says we need to take everything to him. We don't need to do that if we're in control, right? Because we don't have a need for him. We don't have a need to depend on him, to rely on him. But we do, because you and I don't control the things that we think that we do, because God is the one who is in control. And we have to learn to trust him, that he has our best interests in mind. All right? And here's the last one. This is the one I want to end with. Maintain a focus on the right kingdom. All right? Uh, I have a kingdom focus up there. In my notes, I changed it to the right kingdom. Because I think we can always have our focus on a kingdom, but it's not always the right one. All right? Or sometimes we focus on our own kingdom instead of on God's kingdom. This is really the crux of the whole matter. As believers, you and I are kingdom citizens created for an eternal kingdom. Do you believe that? No? Y'all believe that? All right. That's a good start. You and I are kingdom citizens created for an eternal kingdom, so that's where our focus should be. We have to maintain that focus. We're called to give our time, our attention, and our allegiance to the kingdom of God above all else. It's what we're all about. He's given us a purpose here on earth, but ultimately, we're called to give everything we have to his kingdom. That said, doesn't mean we aren't his disciples if we struggle. There's always going to be a struggle. But Jesus' point is that even though 
will battle these ungodly ambitions and sometimes will fail, there ought to be at least a competing desire in our hearts for the glory of God and for the kingdom of righteousness. See, when we worry or we're anxious, our focus is on the situation in front of us instead of the God next to us. And that's a big difference. Our focus can easily become on the situation in front of us instead of the God that's next to us. And so our focus is on the wrong things instead of on God and his kingdom. The greatest need you and I have is an eternal need, not an earthly need. It's the need to be saved by Jesus, to have hope in the world and life for eternity. And when our hearts are overwhelmed by worldly cares, we tend to neglect the greater and better things to take thought about, those things like the life of our soul or our eternal happiness. Thoughtfulness for our souls is the most effective cure of thoughtfulness for the world. We need to give more thought and more weight to the matters of eternity and to the matters of the kingdom. One more quote I want to share with you, and then I'm going to end. The best way to be comfortably provided for in this world is to be most intent upon another world. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And so God never promises to rid us of anxious thoughts. We have them to point us to Jesus. We have them in order for us to rely on him more regularly and put our faith in him more completely and more fully. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, God's big enough to handle your worries and anxieties, but not only can he handle it, he wants you to give it to him. You were created for an eternal kingdom, so let's keep our eyes fixed on that. You guys bow with me and let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Um, Lord, I know that... uh, While every word in Scripture is true, it's not always easy. And so, God, allow us to see the things that we need to to lay at your feet today. Uh, Lord, allow us to understand what you would have for us in the midst of these struggles. And God, just remind us of how much you love us and care for us uh, during this time. God, I thank you um, for how your word never comes back void. And Lord, how your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, God, and you can speak to whoever you choose to. And so, God, I pray for that this morning. Uh, It's in your name I pray. Amen.